Hello everyone, this is Mark Iskowitz, Executive Editor of MMM, and welcome to this post-Memorial Day weekend edition of the MMM Podcast, where my faithful co-host Larry Dobro and I interview people of note in and around healthcare marketing. I'm flying solo today from a hosting perspective as Larry is tending to some magazine business. We hope everyone had a restful few days. The FDA gave us something to mull over the long weekend. On Friday afternoon, the agency green-lighted a new seven-figure gene therapy from Novartis. Solgensma, approved to treat the rare genetic disease spinal muscular atrophy, SMA, is the first $1 million plus gene therapy. Coming in at $2.1 million, or an annualized cost of $425,000 per year for five years, Zolgensma now owns the distinction of being the world's priciest drug. Now that the FDA has approved Zolgensma, what's next? To discuss that, we have live in the studio today our special guest, Michelle Rivera, who's analyst at InThought Research. Hey, Michelle, how was your Memorial Day weekend? It was good. It was pretty good. How was yours? Good, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure yours was okay, other than the annoying emails you got from me about this <laughs> podcast. So thank you Not so much for all. joining us. <laughs> We're very fortunate to have Michelle. Um, besides being an analyst for InThought, Michelle did her PhD work in SMA, so uh, we're very fortunate indeed uh, to have her here today. Uh, before we get to uh, the questions for her, uh, just a little housekeeping. Um, June, our June issue is on diversity, and on June 3, all of that content will be dropping online, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we also have uh, next Thursday our big annual Hall of Femme event coming up in New York City. Um, so I'm sure you've been seeing the promotions around that. For tickets, uh, you can find more information on our website. Con Lion Health, Can Lion Health, depending on how you pronounce it, coming up June 17 to 18 in Cannes. Uh, our uh, faithful uh, editor-in-chief, Steve Madden, will be there um, live on the scene uh, covering that. Uh, the MMM Awards Judging Day is June 24th in New York City. And the Big July issue is right around the corner, our biggest issue of the year uh, with profiles of all 100 of the top 100 uh, healthcare marketing agencies in North America. So stay tuned for that. Okay, so getting back to uh, Zolgensma, um, getting good at saying that. This was a, a widely anticipated approval uh, and one for a disease that's one of the biggest genetic killers of infants, so certainly good news for patients. Um, so, um, Michelle, let's, let's start, just talk, tell everybody about your background uh, and your PhD work in SMA and kind of um, you know, br- bring us up to, up to speed. Sure. So, I uh, got my PhD in SMA. I studied the role of SMN protein, specifically in skeletal muscle tissue at the Motor, Motor Neuron Center at Columbia University. But my journey with SMA started about 10 years ago. I worked in the Craner Lab at Cold Spring Harbor, where Nursi Nursen, or Spinraza, was developed. Mm-hmm. And that's where I first learned about SMA and became passionate about the disease. It's when I met my first pediatric SMA patient. And, you know, with these patients, they're mentally intact, their mental development is normal, so they're very aware of the muscle breakdown Mm -hmm. and the paralysis that their bodies are experiencing from this horrible disease. So I think that motivates anyone to work very hard for a cure, and when I became very passionate about studying the disease. Sure, okay, so it was really that um, exposure to the patients and the impact that it has on them that really inspired you to focus on that. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, when I heard that you had done your PhD in SMA, I, I just thought that was really fascinating. So, um, again, that's, that's just great. Um, so talk about what is SMA, you know, from a pathophysiology perspective. 
Sure, so SMA stands for spinal muscular atrophy. It's an autosomal recessive neuromuscular disease. Autosomal recessive meaning that both of your parents need to be carriers in order for you to have the disease. It has an incidence rate in one in every 10,000 life births and a carrier frequency in one in every 40 adults. So the disease is characterized by this motor neuron death um, that causes muscle weakness, paralysis, and eventually death. And this motor neuron death is caused by low levels of survival motor neuron, or SMN protein for short. And it's due to mutations or deletions of the SMN1 gene. And 90% of the cases, they die by age two, right? Um, if they're type one, if yes, type, okay. right. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the field has been interested in uh, increasing the levels of SMN protein therapeutically. And before Zolgesma, the target has been this SMN2 gene, which is unique to humans and almost identical to the SMN1 gene. The SMN2 gene codes for SMN protein in functional forms, but at very low levels. There is a C to T change in exon 7, and it causes all of exon 7 to be skipped in the SMN2. So this is kind of the way you described it to me. It's the, the backup gene, so to speak, to right. SMN1. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the other, the Onmar, the, the previously, uh, or let's just say Spinraza, focused on SMN2. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but where Zolgensma comes in and it, it focuses in on SMN1 and, and, and delivering a, a working copy of that gene. Right. Okay. So, yeah, that's the difference. Um, the Zolgensma replaces the dysfunctional SMN1 gene mm -hmm. and restores production of SMN that way. It doesn't really have any concern with the SMN2 gene. Mm -hmm. And it works through AEV9 delivery, which is different than Spinraza mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Right, which is uh, basically a um, HIV in a inactivated disease uh, uh, viral vector that, that delivers that, that copy into right, the body. Right, it's a viral capsid, yep. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. With Spinraza, they concentrated mm -hmm. on the SMN2. So is different. Um, but I think it's just important to note that um, SMA patients, so they have a defective SMN1 gene and varying copies of the SMN2 gene. And the more copies of the SMN2, the more full-length SMN protein is being made, the less severe the phenotype. And SMA varies from type 1 to 4, with type 1 being the most severe and type 4 SMA being this adult onset type of the disease. Okay. And um, Zolgensma is approved in all all types, I believe. Under the age of two. Under the age yeah, of two. I okay. think that's... Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so going further into the SMA therapies for a moment, you know, let, let's talk advantages, disadvantages. Uh, let's talk about the SMA drug pipeline for a moment. We'll, we'll get back to Zolgensma in a second, but talk about what's, what's coming down the pike. Sure. So... You know, we can start with what's marketed. Do you want me to sure. go over Spinraza? Okay, so Spinraza is administered intrathecally. And Which is a lumbar puncture, right? Right, okay. straight into the spinal cord, and it targets the SMN2 gene. It modulates splicing. In this case, you know, it leads to the inclusion of exon 7 and increases the SMN protein uh, being produced. And it's priced at 750000 for the first year and 375000 thereafter, and the delivery needs to be ongoing throughout a patient's life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How many uh, infusions do they get? Um, is, uh, you know, is it once a month, once a year? I believe it varies during the first year, but I think the upkeeping might be one, once or twice a year. Okay. 
we'll, we'll cross validate. Right. <laughs> and you have the IV delivery of Zogesma through mm-hmm. AAV9 in children under the age of two, but because of the small packaging capacity of the AAV9 vectors, um, it limits them to mm-hmm. children under the age of two. So for these older patients in the type three to four population, the Zogesma would have to be administered intrathecally, like Spiraza is administered. Mm-hmm. And we don't know whether the efficacy would be impacted when it's dosed locally as opposed to systemically, but they're currently in phase one trial for their intrathecal administration called the Shong trial. So that's for Zolgensma, they're testing an intrathecal administration route, which would open up the door for older SMA patients. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Over the age of two. Over the age of two, right. Right. So, um, I mean, staying with Novartis, Novartis also has Brunelopin, Mm -hmm. um, which is an oral mRNA splicer, um, but it's an early stage, and the data isn't really expected until the second half of 2020. But what's interesting is that Novartis will probably be using uh, Brunelopin for patients that are ineligible for gene therapy. Like such as the ones that are presenting antibodies for the AUV9. Okay, okay. Um, so that's the, and with the antibodies, so uh, all babies have to be screened prior to getting any therapy to see if they have those antibodies. Right. Right. Uh, because if they have those antibodies, then they're not they're they're going to be resistant to. Zolgesmite. Zolgesmite. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. No, not at all. Um, and then we have rizdiplam which is oral. Mm, and the Roche is, drug. Right. And systemically distributed. It's a small molecule. It's small enough to cross the blood-brain barrier. Mm. Um, and it increases the SMN levels throughout the body. And as with Spinraza, Ritisplan also targets the SMN2 gene. Okay, okay. And it facilitates the inclusion of exon 7. Mm. And you know, a key and obvious advantage of plan over Spiraza is the oral administration of the drug, which reduces patients' needs for these, you know, painful and sometimes difficult lumbar punctures, and it also allows patients to be treated at home instead right. of having to travel to hospitals or centers of excellence. And their timeline is, is sooner than the Novartis oral, right? Yes, probably very close, but mm-hmm. yes. Right, they're talking about, I think, submitting it second half of this year. Oh, Roche, at the end of the year. I believe right. so, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. And how is that going to change the market? Well, I think it will make it much easier for patients to be treated. And, mm-hmm. you know, they may also have more flexibility on how to price the drug because mm-hmm. the costs will be reduced. Right, right. It's falling back on the accepted literature for, for pricing a small molecule drug. Which right. It's a lot, lot easier to define value and, um, and set up a value-based contract and, and so on and so forth. Plus the oral administration, as you said, it's, it's much more convenient and easier to treat. Right. Okay. Anything else uh, in, in the pipeline? Yeah, we there's a SRK015 by Scholar Rock, mm-hmm. and that's a myostatin inhibitor, so that's more of a muscle-specific drug, and it improves muscle strength and motor function SME patients, but that's more towards symptoms than mm-hmm. you know going back to the genetic cause of the disease. Um, the, there's also uh, Reldesemtiv by Cytokinetics, and that's a skeletal muscle uh, troponin activator, so it slows down the rate of calcium release. And um, 
but the really the last two drugs are really just treating symptoms instead of get, getting to the root of the drug, like Sojesma and Speranza have done. Right. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks for running through that. Um, so um, you know we covered a number of, of things there. Um, now that um, uh, we, we've talked about that, uh, let's just talk about you know circle back to the Zolgensma approval for a moment. Mm-hmm. Any, any surprises there? You know, other than the fact that the FDA kind of approved it a week before its expected uh, decision date. Uh, mm-hmm. Did anything take you by surprise? I'd probably say I was a little surprised that it expanded all the way to two years of age because mm-hmm. the trial um, was patient six months and younger. Mm-hmm. I think there was a cohort that included nine months old as well, um, and, but they went all the way up to two years. I, I would say that that's the only thing. What about the, the types? Did that surprise you at all? Uh, that they were that, that it was approved for types one, two, three, and um, possibly I'm not sure if it was approved for type four or not, but it had it seemed to have a broader label than than a lot of people anticipated. Right. I mean, it, you know, it's still inpatient. Patients have to be younger than two years old, right. so that right. would require genetic testing of the patients to see if they are SMA patients. If we're targeting patients. Type three and four, mm-hmm. and, they won't yeah. show symptoms before age mm-hmm. two. Okay. Um, oh, I see. So the, the sim- symptoms don't start uh, until until then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's really um, it really kind of uh, is is it must be hard to diagnose before then. Wait. I mean, some some states have included. SMA as part of their uh, neonatal diagnosis. Hmm. Um, But unless you're testing for it, you wouldn't know if a patient has adult onset SMA. I see, right, right, until it's symptomatic and then Mm -hmm. you, uh, right, uh, and then you start testing for it. Right, until they develop the intrathecal administration and then that will change. You know, older patients will be able to be be, treated uh, for it. To be treated, okay, right. So Mm -hmm. the, um, so the IV infusion, uh, as you mentioned, um, anybody over eight and a half kilograms um, really can't do uh, cannot is, is not a candidate for the IV infusion. So they what really they've done, do right? So what they've done is really um, change uh, it being about weight, and they made it about age. So uh, anyone under the age of two uh, is eligible okay. to have it. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. But um, the the reason why intrathecal open up the adult um, category is that. Is, 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 is there something with the IV infusion that, that the adult patients are incompatible with? Or? It's just the small packaging capacity of right. a V9. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to treat a patient that is higher in weight, you would have to do it locally. So they would have to, to do a spinal tap right. instead of administering it through IV because they just can't fit enough of it into the capsid. Uh-huh. Okay. Got it. Okay. All right. Um, so what? So so speaking of that, what's what's the typical patient look like? You know, for 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 Zolgensma? Yeah, so it would be a, a patient under the age of two. They would have test negative for the presence of the AV9 antibodies and have no liver problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and uh, this is a bigger bigger question, but now that it's approved, approved, um, you know, let's let's talk about some of the on market challenges here. Um, uh, maybe just focusing on two or three. What do, you, what do you think are the biggest marketing challenges for, for Novartis here? 
I would say the limited patient population, like you keep uh-huh. saying, you right. know, under the age of two, negative for antibodies, the AAV9 packaging capacity until the intrathecal gets approved, mm-hmm. the lack of data on durability, and what happens if there's a problem with durability. You know, in, in treated patients with Sogesma, you will have antibodies that form, so you can't simply just re-inject them with right. another dose right. of Sogesma. So that's, that's, that's significant because if there's something goes wrong with that. Right. So they would have to move on to another therapy. Mm-hmm. You know? what, what could happen there? Like what, uh, what would be an example where somebody would get it and then um, we'd say, oh, we need to re-inject it up. Too bad, you know, we've got, there's antibodies, so you can't get it. I mean, is it... So then that person would have to move on to another therapy, whether right. it's Spinraza or Rizdaplam. Sure, you know. sure, when that becomes um, available. Okay. Right, but then, you know, will insurance companies cover that? Right, right. Because... Yeah. They've just paid two point one two five for this. Million for this, right? So that right. that becomes the problem. Mm-hmm. So it's the lack of data that I think will be a challenge. Right. We think these are, are one time drugs, um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, like same thing with Luxterna, which is the the blindness uh, gene therapy that was approved late twenty seventeen. We just don't know. We don't have the long term data. Right. Um, so as you as you said, it could require maintenance down the road, but we don't we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Which also makes it difficult to affix a value to it, right? Um, I mean, Novartis says this is more cost-effective um, because it's replacing a lifetime of chronic treatment with a Spinraza. Right. And the price, they said, is, is cheaper than 10 years. It's half the cost of 10 years of Spinraza. Yeah. Um, so this seems like they're, they're making a reasonable you know, guesstimate there, but, but we just don't know. Time will tell. And we just we just don't know how pairs are going, are going to react as well. Uh, there was a, a statement put out by Novartis saying they're working with 15 pairs um, and they're in various discussions with them. Uh, they seem to be on board. Um, Harvard Pilgrim was one that was quoted in the release saying that they've um, signed an agreement, an outcomes-based agreement. Um, and uh, Steve Miller from Cigna was, was quoted in that release too, and he's been one of the most vocal critics, I mm-hmm. think, of drug pricing, uh, you know, dating back to when, you know, before they bought Express Scripts, uh, he was always in the forefront. Um, but he's been a big supporter of outcomes-based pricing. Any any thoughts on how the outcomes-based contract may look might look for a gene therapy? Like, in four or five years, do they have kind of um, clauses in there for what happens if the drug doesn't do what it's supposed to? You know, what, what would the rebate look like in that situation? I'm not sure, but I know that they are discussing doing that. You know, yeah. for for the five years, but what it will look like, or whether these patients will switch from one insurance to the next one, and you mm-hmm. know who takes on paying for it, I, you know. I'm not right. Sure. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's, it could be one of those deals where they, um, you know, made a lot of noise around the press release, and they got some good good PR there. But time right. will tell. The devil's in the details. Right. So. I mean, I I think there is a good chance that insurance companies will cover. So Jensma, just because SMA is so rare and it right. is a deadly disease, right. you know, but it, it certainly um, implicates other gene therapies that are not as rare. You know, what are what will they do then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, now, how do you think uh, it's going to be received by physicians? Well, so I think that, you know, as far as uh, taking away scripts from Spinraza and and so on, you know, I think the doctors and payers, patients, and the patients' families are going to face a tough medical, logistical, and economic decision. 
you know, like I said, spironazole ha has a lot more data behind it, but it's not a one and done treatment and it's very expensive. So I could see it taking away from um, the new SMA patients and potentially the SMA patients that are being treated with spironazole that fit the bill of being under the age of two, being mm -hmm. tested negative for antibodies. But yeah, I think that's going to be a tough choice for them to say spinmazo or zojesma mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. some of these patients. Don't you think that the opportunity to correct the genetic defect is going to be so attractive that it's going to swing the pendulum over to the gene therapy or not necessarily? Yeah, I think for the patients that are eligible for it mm -hmm. and whether the patients can afford it. Right, right. So those will... Barring those two things, or though those could be two areas where um, the existing therapy could be, could be more attractive. Yeah, I mean, I think that in a perfect world, you would be able to do a combination therapy, you know. But in the price of that, it would be unmanageable. But if you could do so, Jesma and Spermaza or Rizizplam, you know, right. that would be the best case scenario. Right, combinations of gene therapy and. Uh, conventional therapy mm -hmm. um, you know I remember when we were having this discussion around precision precision oncology you know combination of the precision oncology drugs it was like well how far can we go how how far can we go so we break the system right. um, because uh, those those drugs are, are very pricey as well um, but sometimes necessary because even though they're based on biomarkers the body adapts and, and, and develops resistance to precision oncology drugs which is why you have multiple drugs attacking the same biomarker, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, so so the, you think that the market primarily will focus for Zolgensma on new patients, newly diagnosed, rather than existing patients? I think so. I think just yeah. because of the limited patient population that yeah. they'll be able to reach as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that that's something that, that analysts will have their, their eye on for sure, you know, what... Um, uh, whether it will siphon scripts from, from Spinraza or whether it will just um, find a market primarily amongst the treatment naive. Um, and I think there's, there's been some um, market uh, forecasts uh, in excess of $2 billion, uh, by, by 2020 uh, or 2022 uh, worldwide forecasts. So um, this seems like one that's going to ramp up you know, uh, rel relatively fast for you know, uh, considering that it's such a small population. Um, and physicians will have a will have to convince doctor will have to you know be convinced to, to go with the price of your therapy. Do you think that that's going to be um, a chore, a, a, a difficult job for Novartis to kind of convince doctors on that, or it just depends on um, it'll be pretty easy to define who's a candidate for what. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really comment on that, but I would say that it would they would be more concerned with the data on durability, mm -hmm. you know, I think that that's, that's what would impede a physician from putting a patient on Zolgesma over Spinraza. Okay. Okay. Um, so now let's, let's turn uh, toward, uh, you know, the future in terms of um, 68 gene therapies are set to be launched by 2024. Uh, I read one stat from Evaluate Pharma. Uh, how can pharma marketers prepare more for this future of molecular medicine? Right, so it's an exciting time for gene therapy. The promise of gene therapy has 
been steadily rising over the last 25 years and it looks to finally be a reality but there will surely be setbacks similar to what we saw in the past with the unforeseen immunological consequences but if we keep the risk and benefit in mind these can be optimized and the patients will benefit so the pricing issue is different you know the pharma industry doesn't really have a good model for expensive once and done treatment outside of oncology like you mentioned so perhaps as the technology evolves the barrier to entry will be lowered and the competition will prevail and in that case everyone will benefit okay okay yeah i think the, the marketers are gonna have to really work very closely with um you know icer and um uh Regula regulatory bodies um, uh, to really define the value um, and maybe come up with novel endpoints uh, or, or patient-reported data to define that, you know, because it's just it seems like a, a new frontier, you know, with, with gene therapy. Um, again, the, the there's an uncertainty around the durability there. So it's not like the, the small molecule drugs where you can just, you know, you're going to recoup your costs over time. Right. Uh, this, this uh, you have to do it all, all up front, right? Right. So um, that, that's a challenge, you know, from a, I guess, a price setting perspective, um, you know, just just from a marketing perspective, um, you know, just like other rare disease drugs, you probably aren't going to see DTC ads for this, you know, because it's too small of a population. Mm -hmm. um, but but you'll see a lot of patient advocacy, you know, work and, and uh, work in the in the rare disease community. Um, um, to educate doctors, are doctors, you know, from your experience, you know, educated about SMA? I guess I know you mentioned it's not one of the. It just recently was added to, you know, the litany of genetic uh, diseases that they test for. But is is there a, a high awareness of this in the physician community of this disease? I would say so. There is okay. Yeah, I would say so because mm -hmm. even though it's rare, it is still you know, the second biggest killer of children right. under the age of two. You know. Right. It's the second biggest. Right. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so Outside of cystic fibrosis. Okay. Okay. One, right. So it's it's pretty high on their radar. Right. So um so so that should you know um you know inform Novartis's uh, professional marketing uh, efforts accordingly. Um so so it'll be interesting to see you know what what form the marketing takes uh, and uh, something to to uh, to keep an eye on and I know. Um, you know, marketers are, are doing their day jobs, you know, marketing whatever drugs they're working on. But, um, you know, this is this is one to keep an eye on, you know, because as, as we said, there's more of these coming down the pike and they have um, particular challenges, uh, particularly in the, as you said, in the, in the payer area, the reimbursement area, the access and value uh, area. So, um, and anything else uh, you wanted to mention about this? Uh, no, approval? I think just emphasizing that, you know, the key will be testing neonatal patients, you know, the, mm -hmm. the chil uh, children when they're first born, yeah. because with every single one of the therapies, whether it's Benraza or Zolgesma, the earlier you start treating, the better the outcome, you mm -hmm. know, because motor neurons, once they die, they don't come back. Mm -hmm. So the earlier you treat the patients, the better will be the outcome. So it's important to start testing them as soon as possible. Right. And these motor neurons control some pretty uh, important aspects of, uh, of, of physiology, breathing, and um, swallowing, and um, sitting movement, upright, yeah. movement, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, is this something that they would get tested for? In, in the hospital. In the hospital, okay, right. right. Just through a simple blood test? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. They already test, I believe, 
you know, 34 diseases. So, mm-hmm. and I, New York is one of the states of Pennsylvania, Minnesota. Um, I believe there are five states altogether that are testing for SMA hmm. in the hospital. Five it's, states. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, um, you know, that's, so there's no national you know, standard there. It's state by state. state by, right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe that'll be an effort, uh, a focus of, uh, of marketing efforts is to just, you know, drive awareness for the need for testing. Right. Because um, that's important yeah. for, for any of the therapies is just catching these patients as early as possible. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Uh, so now is uh, usually the time on the podcast when we switch to something called the lightning round, where we just ask some, some basic personal questions. Uh, you good with that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what, what are you reading these days? Um, just a lot of oncology-related papers. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to catch up on the field of oncology now. Medical journals. Yeah. How many journals do you read uh, per month? Oh, per month? Yeah. What do, you try to, what do you try to keep up with? Like, are they like JAM or NEJM that come out weekly, or is it more specific, like, say, genetic type journals that only come out less frequently? Or just mostly academic papers. Okay. You know, not so much full journals. But Proceedings of the right, yes. exactly. One-off papers. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And uh, who who are your you know professional role models? I'll probably say Adrian Craner is yeah. probably my role model professionally. He's the person that introduced me to SMA. Oh, nice. Okay. And, um, you know, I became so passionate about it that I decided to get a PhD on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say. And he is where? At Cold Spring Harbor Laboratories. Cold Spring, okay, right. Mm-hmm. Is, is that his focus of uh, SMA, of yeah. research? Wow, mm-hmm. okay. Nice. Great. Yeah, I think he got the Breakthrough Prize Award for oh, 2019. Good. Oh, did he? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look that up. Okay. All right. Well, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. I learned a lot. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So that's going to do it for us uh, on the MMM podcast. Uh, for Larry Dobra, Mickey Brown, I want to thank Michelle Rivera for joining us. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you everybody out there. Me. Sure. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Um, this will be uh, posted uh, tomorrow to our website as well as your podcasting service of choice. Please like us, subscribe to the podcast. Um, and, uh, we'll see you next time on the MMM podcast. Thanks everybody.